0: How are you guys this morning good 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 so good to be with all of you this morning so excited about today so many things uh, that once again just sort of display to us uh, the incredible grace and mercy of God as he continues uh, to shape and transform and work uh, and move in us and through us uh, we have been traveling together this summer Uh, through this wondering, if you will, of what it looks like uh, to be a people that experience from God uh, a reviving, if you will, Uh, catching the breath of God, if you will, Uh, taking a deep breath and coming out of uh, all of the realities in which we have lived these last few years. But if we're honest, I mean, if we're honest, The last few years are really just a reflection of a lifetime, aren't they? I mean, they were a little more intense than usual, but uh, those realities come and go. And so the question is, as life comes at us, as we experience life in its beauty and in its brutality, how do we live a life that doesn't allow the beauty of life to become our security, our safety, and the brutality of life to unravel our well-being in such a way that we are not safe and not secure how do we live transcendent of that how do we live in an ongoing space of soul revival because god is enough how does that happen this is what we have been exploring together uh, that we've been navigating together this summer Uh, and uh, as we continue down that path that is still the question that we are exploring So um, this last week, this coming week uh, for Brooke and I, Brooke is my wife, uh, it is a whirlwind of a week, right? Uh, Because we uh, are are getting a bunch of kids off to college. So we had two graduates from high school this particular year. So this last week, we drove up to University of West Georgia to drop Mahari off uh, as a freshman there, get him settled into his dorm. You parents who have had... Kids, Or you who have been college students at all, or frankly, if you're an adult and you do not any longer live with your parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, The moving out into your first space that is yours. And so we went out, we dropped him off, we got him settled in, Uh, we drove back from uh, Carrollton, Georgia, uh, on, uh, I forget, Thursday, uh, and yesterday, uh, and on Friday, we loaded Hope, my daughter, up, uh, and literally after the eleven seventeen we get in a car and drive up to Auburn uh, to go and drop her off and get her settled in on Monday and Tuesday, and then we drive back Tuesday to get back Tuesday night because Wednesday morning, my senior Rahel and my uh, sophomore Cole start school here, so we get them off to school and then Saturday Saturday, Saturday, we load Barhanu up and roll to Palm Beach Atlantic to go load him into his apartment and roll back Saturday night so we can be here Sunday. So it's going to be a little crazy. Yeah. So uh, on all of these drives, back and forth, hours and hours on the road, uh, eventually in the mundane realities of driving when your student is listening to whatever they're listening to on their iPods and your wife is taking a quiet nap um, in order to keep yourself busy, uh, one, you play a video game with the other cars, not in a dangerous sort of way, but just in a sort of like, let's get past them sort of way. At least that's what I do. Um, and then you look at the billboards, right? Because, uh, you know, they just kind of breeze on by. And every now and then I noticed these billboards that talk about the idea of either wearing a seatbelt or um, strapping your uh, car seat in properly. And, and the way these billboards make their point is that the billboard has some terrible display of a car halfway through the air, upside down, with glass flying out. And the car looks like it is midway in a terrible accident. And then the little thing at the bottom says, uh, you don't have time now to put your seatbelt on. You know, you don't have time now to check the car seat. Like when an accident happens, you and I were not planning on that. We don't approach an accident and go, oh, there's an accident coming that I'm going to be in. Everybody check your seat belts. Everybody check the, the car seat. Let's make sure it's good. No, it just, it just comes at you and then it happens and then it's too late. And, and I was thinking about this on my drive this last week that that's kind of how life is. Really, I mean, when it it comes to this idea of of having our minds set on things above, of having our eyes fixed on Jesus, of having our souls in a place of contentment, of, of, of finding ourselves as a people revived and ready for life, part of the reason why God has placed into process all of these rhythms that are daily and weekly and monthly and annually ongoing, non-ending, continually calling us into a remembering is because life doesn't give you a chance to be ready. I mean, I was driving over here with one of my lovely children in the car. We started a lovely conversation. It didn't end well. I know that's never happened to any of you with your spouse or children or parent on the way to church where a conversation goes south very quickly and then you're in that position where now you're in a car stuck with each other but you will not talk to each other and you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to a spiritual place and I hate a human and this human hates me. And then you wonder, should we repent prior to arriving at church? Should we do the whole, I, I'm sorry, but then it's fake. And should we wait till after church? Should we let God revive this soul beside me so they can see rightly before we bring forgiveness? No, And me. See, like life just comes. Like, bam, hits you in the face. And if you are not ready, if you are not revived, if you are not fixed, if you are not set then life gets the better in the moments. And, and then you're like, whoa, thrown off. And because we, in our Western culture in 2022, live at a speed and a pace like no human in history has had to live at. Life comes the same way it did to all of them. It just comes faster. And therefore there's more regularity to its coming. And so we enter into that space asking the question, God, not just how can I be revived as I enter in on a Sunday to try and recoup from the death defying realities of my week and the one that waits, but how do I live in a place of ongoing revival of soul breathing in the breath of God so that when life comes at me it is not necessarily that I get it right every time but that in some ways it does not unravel me every time enter the Shema the Shema is not the answer But it is one of the little examples of a rhythm that God has put into place for us humans knowing both how we function and the lives that we live. The Shema is a name given to a prayer or a poem that was handed to the people of God in the Old Testament as something intended for them to repeat each day numerous times. In the morning for sure, in the evening for sure, and then in between as much as possible. And the Shema is found in Scripture in the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, here is what the Shema says. The Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. When I read it, you will probably feel some sense of familiar to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is the Shema. That is the poem. Now, God continues to write here sort of a, here's why this Shema matters. Look what he says next in the next verse. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall... And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what is the intent of God here? The intent of God is that this Shema and all that it encompasses shall be in front of you when? Always. Always. All the time, no ending. Your gate, your door, your your, your forehead, the frontlets of your eyes, your hands, so that every time you touch anything, move anything, pick up anything, it's there, it's before you. You're teaching it to your children. When you lay down, should it be with you? Yes, when you rise up. Yes, when you walk. Yes, when you run. Yes, when you stop. Yes, when you sit. Yes, when you sleep. Yes, when you wake. Yes, when should it not be with you? Never, never. It's sort of this sense that this reality, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might should be before you all the time. Dare not forget, it it suggests. So why is this called the Shema? Well, it's called the Shema because of the first word, In this particular prayer or poem, hear, O Israel, hear. The Hebrew word for the word to hear is, you'll never guess, Shema. Shema. So it wasn't like some like, oh, let's come up with an incredible name for the poem. How about Shema? It was just like, Shema, O Israel. Let's call it the Shema. It's very simple. Hear, O Israel. Shema, O Israel. Now, the word Shema in Hebrew is a fascinating word because it encompasses far more than what the word in English typically encompasses when we say, hear, O oh people, hear me, listen, me. To me, when we talk about hearing or listening in our English language, that word primarily encompasses the idea of you hearing what the person has to say. The intent of that English word is not necessarily, though it can be, to be taken beyond the hearing of the words. What you do with those words, how you respond to those words, we have other English words for that. But our word "hear" or "listen" that's its primary point. In the Hebrew language, they don't have other words for the other things. They use the same one. So let me explain. The word "shema" means to hear. So, for example, uh, if you go to Proverbs uh, twenty twelve, there's an example. In Proverbs twenty twelve, it said, uh, "Those who shema, who hear." Uh, They have ears and they have eyes to see. They have ears to Shema and they have eyes to see, not Shema. It's a different word, okay? So it's just a very simple reality. If you have ears, what can you do? You can hear or you can Shema. So sometimes the word is used simply like we use it in the English language. If you have ears, you can hear. But at other times, the word Shema expands same word usage where we in the English would change the word. They don't change the word. And it moves into to pay attention or to give attention to, to focus on. So we're now moving, watch now. See how many English words I had to use to try to help you understand the one Hebrew word? I just moved from it means to hear to now it means to pay attention. It means to be attentive. It means to focus on. We have English words like focus on, pay attention. So we might still use, listen, or hear in that way, but only after we explain. In the Hebrew language, they didn't have all the explain words. They just had one word. It was Shema. So for example, in the book of Exodus, uh there i'm sorry in the book of genesis uh, chapter 29 jacob is going to marry somebody and he's going to marry a particular young lady rachel and Mm -hmm. rachel has a sister leah and the dad of rachel and leah uh, know that leah doesn't have as good a shot as rachel to get married complicated story. So dad decides to trick Jacob into marrying Leah instead of marrying Rachel without Jacob knowing. Tricky situation. Old Testament's fun. It displays the human brutality with absolute wonder so that we would know the sin of the people so that we would know the grace of God. And so here it says, oh, watch these people roll over each other. And so Jacob is tricked into marrying Leah. And then later on, he still wants Rachel. So he gets her as well and marries her. And you're like, "Does the Bible, halt, chill. What is the Bible displaying in the Old Testament? The brutality of human terror. So here's the deal. Here's now two ladies. And this lady, Leah, did Jacob want to marry her? No. So how does Jacob feel about Leah? He's mad at her. He hates her. How do we know? Because the Bible says it. It says she was hated. So in Genesis chapter 29, Leah knows she's hated. So this thing happens that's so crazy. Uh, For a season, God allows Leah to bear children for Jacob, but Rachel can't. She is barren, which in this culture was like the height of height things that you're like, no, please. So Leah has kids. And she actually says in Genesis chapter 9, uh, I mean 29, oh my gosh, when her first child is born, God, you have seen that I am hated. You've seen it and you've given me a child so that now my husband will love me. But that doesn't happen. And so another child is born in Genesis and listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 29, Leah speaks in verse 33 and she says she it says she conceived again and bore a son and said because the lord has heard that i am hated he has given me a son also so she called his name Simeon or or Shimon and the word the lord has heard me and given me a son guess what word that is Shimon the Lord has shamed me, not has heard about, like we use the word here, but has paid attention to me, has come and responded to me, has come and done something about this. The Lord has shamed me. So the word shema does not simply mean to hear; it means to pay attention, it means to see, it means to respond. Now, the word Shema, interestingly enough, moves into another category of response. We already have response on the table, but lightly. so. Now we see it move into massive response. In the book of Psalms, the psalmists often cry out to God, as you well know. And they're like, what do they usually say? Oh God, hear our cry. So when we say that in English, what we think in our heads is what the people are asking is this. God, I'm going to shout really loud and I hope you hear me. But actually, what are they asking? They're not simply saying, God, would you hear us? Of course he hears them. What are they asking him to do? To respond, to act, to do something. The following sentence is almost always, hear our cry, oh God, have mercy upon us, be gracious toward us. So what the psalmist is saying, for example, Psalm 27, 7, it says, uh, hear our cry, O God, and extend your mercy toward us. That word is shema. Shema, our cry, O God. And what they are saying is, when we Cry out and you hear us. We use that word with the expected assumption that what you hear, you will respond to. The Hebrew language does not separate the hearing from what you do with it afterwards. It assumes that if there is no response, then you didn't. Shema. Let me say that again. It assumes that if there's no response, then you didn't even Shema. You didn't even hear. You didn't even listen. We know this because the prophets of the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, when they are talking about the people, uh, they will often say this. The people have ears to Shema, but they are not Shemaing. They have ears to hear, but they are not listening. So what they're saying is, you're not Shemaing if all you're doing is Shemaing. Because the word Shema cannot be divorced from, separated from, pulled away from the response. It does not function that way. That's why the Hebrew language, God did not offer multiple words. Although well, there's, there's hear and then there is respond or there is obey. No, you don't even hear if you're not responding and obeying. Oh, you added a word, Renaud, you added a word. I know, how, how, how strange a little word shall obey. See, another English word we use, separated from the word hear, as though you can hear and then decide. And if you don't obey, you're still hearing. You're not hearing. Listen to this. In Exodus chapter 19, in verse 5, Um, God is speaking to his people. They are at Mount Sinai. Uh, He has now met them. They're on the Exodus. And uh, God is preparing them to be his people. Listen to what he says. Exodus chapter 19 in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed, listen to this now, obey my voice. And keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that shall speak to the, that, that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So what did God say? If you what? obey me, if you obey me, therefore if you indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant. Guess what the word obey there is translated from Hebrew into? You guys are awesome. It's not. No, I'm kidding. It is. It is. It's Shema. Do you know why? Because in the Hebrew language, guess what? There is no word for obey other than Shema. They don't have another word. They don't. So every time in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, that you see the word obey, guess what word you're reading? Shema. Shema, every time. If you read the word here, you're reading the word. Shema, if you uh, listen, shema, uh, obey. Shema. The Hebrew language puts it all together and says we're going to use the same exact word every single time because that is the word that needs to be used. Shema. So. In this incredible reality, what we begin to discover is that if we are going to be a people that are a people revived of soul, with our minds set on things above, our eyes fixed on Jesus, then we are going to be, uh, need to be a people that in regularity, Shema, God. Here, God. And I don't mean here as in just here. I mean what? Shema. And so oftentimes in the Old Testament, they would say, um, hear, O Israel, and listen carefully, or hear and obey. You know those little sentences where it's like, hear and obey? What do you think they would be saying there? Shema and? Shema. So they would actually leave the and out, and they would just go like this. Shema, Shema, the Lord. What, is that, what does that mean? It means, hear, hear, the Lord. What does that mean? English. Listen and obey. Can you separate them? No, you cannot. As far as God is concerned, he created a language in which he didn't allow for the separation so that you could never say, I shema him, but I decided not to do it. And then the answer would be, well, you didn't shema. Because shema can't function that way. It would be like, and you know this experience when a other human, perhaps a child, you share something with them and they respond to you as though they are hearing you. You know that the look on the face? Uh huh, uh huh. Or, hey, this thing that you did, not, not a great idea. Let's not do it again. Uh huh, uh huh. Oh, I'm so glad you are hearing me. And then uh, just a few minutes or hours or days later, you're back in that same conversation, oddly. And you're like, huh, I'm just, I, maybe there was some misunderstanding because you seemed to hear me very well. But then these actions took place that opposed what the hearing was. So you do it again and and again. And eventually you're in this conversation. We have had this conversation 4,000 times. You are not listening. Meaning you are not your there is perhaps few things in the human soul that feels more disrespectful than when a human pretends to hear you and then ignores the instructions you gave, isn't it? When I mean, we tell our children that, we tell each other that. When somebody comes to you, if you are employed by someone and they ask you to do something, you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and you're like, Psh, whatever. There's nothing that feels more like, really? So at the end of the day, the beauty of Shema is to give respect To the one speaking by, listen now, by doing what they say. That is respect to the one who is in authority over you. To take what they are saying and do it. If you are not doing what they are saying, you are living in immediate disrespect of the one in authority over you. That is a reality. And you are not in shema. And so the intent of scripture is, man, let us Shema God, hear and obey. And to do that, what God did was with the Shema, now we're back to the Shema, is he said, repeat this all day, every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And as you go through your day, why are you doing that? Because if you don't wear your seatbelt, when the car starts doing this in the air, you don't have time to go like, oh, seatbelt. That thing's got to be put in when there's no crisis. And what God is saying is life's going to come at you in a car on the way to church. Life's going to come at you uh, at at your house when you wake up in the morning and put your feet out of your bed and you turn to that lovely human next to you and you say, good morning. And they go, and you're like, It's going to come at you as you go down in the kitchen. It's going to come at you as you walk out the door. Then you're going to walk into whatever social network you're in, whatever space in the workplace you're in, whatever school you go to, and it's going to come at you again. And that's if you're lucky enough not to look at that stupid device where it's coming at you a thousand miles. It's like, what? Oh, you got to be kidding me. That's the news feed. Zzz. <laughs> <Hey. Blur-blur-blur-blur. laughs> ah, welcome, 2022. And God comes into that space and he says, how does that feel revived? Do you feel revived? You feel alive? You feel like you're breathing in the air of God? No, I don't think so. So let us come back and recalibrate. How often? All the time. Last week, Pastor Joel was up here and he walked us through the beautiful poem that Jesus brought to us when he was asked a question. Jesus, would you teach us how to Pray. And and Joel walked us through the idea that this prayer isn't just a formula. That's welcome to the Western culture. Jesus gave us a formula. Let's break it down into four words, put an acronym to it, an acronym to it. And and you start with this and that. And, And it is certainly usable that way. I'm not saying you don't do that. That's good. But its intent was so much more than a formula to be able to pray through things so you can either get what you want or say the right thing. It was a poem, a shema, a hearing, a given thing that Jesus... Jesus said, here's how you pray every day. How often, all the time, you pray these words like this. You pray, and it's not necessarily the word for word, though that is a huge win like the Shema because he gave us these words. But it is the intent to say, how do we recalibrate? How do we come? We start, we start here, oh, Father in Heaven, I know where you are. I know what world you come from, where you live. And that's not my world. So I don't have to be afraid here because you are not stuck here with me. We are not the same. We are not in the same boat. We are not traveling the same path. You are my father, where? In heaven. And then it's hallowed be. And so it goes. I'm not gonna walk you through another sermon. And Pastor Joel said this, this beautiful poem if you were to take it each day in the morning, in the evening, during the day. And others like it. Uh, scripture's given to us an entire book full. And we struggle to memorize three verses in a lifetime. And we wonder, oh, why, God, why? Why am I feeling so empty? Why am I not revived? Why does life get to me? Why does it feel like every turn I take? And God's like, well, ha- have you been, have you been, uh, have you been shaman Well, I mean, I'm listening uh, for three and a half minutes during my devotional time where I read the little devotional book. Again, nothing wrong with devotional books. But what a people we are, where we are so rarely engaged in bringing about the poetry and the wonder and the prayers and the beauty in the scripture and embedding it in our hearts so that when Paul writes and says, may the word of God dwell how richly in you. Why would he say that? So that you can obey and do the right thing. No, so that you can breathe minute by minute the breath of God and be revived. And as you are revived by God and you sense the personhood of God and you are in love with God, then you will shema God. And when you shema God, that will be what? It will be both a hearing and a hearing. And you will shema, shema, hear, hear. Listen, listen, or in English, listen and obey. You want to be a person like me. I also want to be a person that lives in the midst of this real life in a revived way. Then we are called by God, invited by God to walk into a rhythm daily, weekly, monthly, annually of things like the Shema. We call it the remembering. The remembering. They are rhythms of remembering. Shema is one of them. But surely a good start. And when I say the Shema, yes, the Shema in the Old Testament. Yes, the Shema in the New One. May we be a people that fixate ourselves on things above, on Jesus. And we speak to our hearts over and over again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, me your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven oh god may you forgive me my trespasses as i forgive those who like me behave like a buffoon against me as i have against others in you and may we be a forgiving people as you have been and lead me not into the stupidity of my own way temptation another word but Keep me from evil so that you might be one who receives glory and honor and praise. Hear, O people, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Write these things everywhere. Say them all the time. Remember them always. So that your soul might be full of Jesus and you will breathe the breath of God. And no matter what comes at you and when it comes, you will be ready to either respond well or if responding badly, to forgive quickly or to repent quickly. So that we might see life instead of death mark our days. Today, we get to watch the beauty of baptism. Baptism, man, baptism, some of my favorite days in this place. You know why? Because a bunch of people who have come to know Jesus, who have experienced the wonder of an awakening of soul, are now ready to come to their biblical community and publicly declare to all of us, hey, hey, everybody, I know Jesus, and I plan to follow him the rest of my life. Would you help me? as I help you. This is what baptism is. So baptism, the beauty of baptism is that it is an outward expression of an inward reality that's already taken place. There's no holy water in this thing. We filled it up from the same stuff you drink. So good news. Um, This baptism, a holy moment isn't about to happen in so far as it affects any salvation. It is a holy moment because it is an outward expression an obedience, a shema, a shema of somebody saying to their biblical community, I want you to know, see my face, I follow Jesus. I want to follow him well when I don't help me as I will help you. An outward expression of an inward reality that has taken place to declare, I now know Jesus. He has made me alive when I was once dead. So the beauty of going into the water and coming out is an outward expression of the dying to the old and the emerging in the resurrection of Christ. It is also an outward expression of identity. It is saying, not only is this a reality for me now, but I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new is come. So when I live like my old stupid self, would you help me? And when you live like your old stupid self, I'll try to help you and call you back to the way That is Jesus. And it is an outward expression of an inward calling that once we come to Jesus, our mission is changed from a mission to build our own kingdom, establish our own security, establish our own safety and try to survive this planet of death, pretending that it's a planet of fun to a mission that says now I get to walk around and be an ambassador for Christ, showing the world his love and his freedom and his light so that they would know the freedom I know and so that their life would move from a temporal death and an eternal damnation to a temporal life and an eternal life because this is eternal life. John 17, three, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We live An eternal life now when we know Jesus, we experience its full expression soon when we leave this dump. I I love earth somewhat, not really, but can't wait to leave. And then baptism is a space where we get to briefly hear the beauty of the stories that emerged. So here's what you're going to see. There's going to be two people in each of the tubs. We have one on either side. They are two of our elders Uh, Kevin is going to be in and Danny's going to be in. They're going to do the baptizing. Or you might see a mentor or a parent or a friend do the baptizing. uh, The way baptism worked in the Old Testament uh, and then into the New Testament was that that person traveling with you who is your spiritual mentor would do the baptizing or stand by you when you're baptized. So we love when dads or moms or mentors or uh, parents or friends do the baptizing. The elder will be in the pool there asking the questions. Hey, tell us, tell us why. You will also get the privilege of hearing some of the stories, uh, some of the brevity of the stories of the people being baptized. Uh, Amanda will be up on the stage and Kevin Richardson will be up on the stage. They're on our staff and they will be reading the stories as each person gets baptized so that you can catch a glimpse of how God has transformed them. This moment is for us, not just to be observers, but to share in the beauty of being reminded in the remembering of God's coming to us so that we would shema together so that we would see and hear and be reminded together, so that we would declare together the glory of God and all that he has done for us. And so we will experience this. Throughout the two gatherings, 17 people are being baptized today, so you won't see all of them in this gathering. The names will be up on the screen, and when you see those names, if you recognize one of those names and they're not in this gathering, pray for them. This is the big moment where they step out in Shema, in hearing and obeying, to say, God, I'm publicly displaying my following of you Help me follow you well, Shema, you well. And so we will see the beauty of Shema. Pray with me uh, as we prepare ourselves to engage with all these friends as they step out in Shema and are baptized. God, thank you for your incredible love for us. And the wonder it is to stand here now as we get ready to experience the beauty of people who have come to know you, people that you have saved, people that you have made alive when they were dead, people that you have given a future of eternal life to, people that you have called by your name because they are now your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared in advance for them to do, that they would now come to us, their biblical community, and declare all this publicly. God, we honor them, and most of all, we honor you for this. May you be glorified in this as we watch the outward expression of Shema take place before our very eyes, that we might be inspired as a people To shema, shema, to hear, hear, to hear and obey. To remember morning and night, midday and mid morning and noon, in bed and in standing and going and in coming on our doorposts and our gateposts, our hands and our foreheads. That you God are the one true God, our father in heaven. That your name is hallowed and that our life is for you. So we will love you with all of it. Help us, Spirit of God, live in Shema well so that we might know the revival of soul and walk in it as we live our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.